Hello, good day, how's it going? Welcome to the Escape Down Under podcast. With a large team on the ground at the Tour Down Under, the start of the World Tour calendar, we figured we'd bring you all the regular dose of the surrounding culture, racing highlights, tech, tech tidbits, and so much more from Adelaide and surrounds. I'm Dave Rome, and don't worry, I won't be providing anyone with race analysis. Rather, for the first of these special episodes, I'm sitting with two experts of the racing world. First up, Gracie Elvin. G'day, g'day. Former pro, star of Australian cycling, turned race commentator, and a regular voice on Escape's Wheel Talk podcast. Gracie, welcome to whatever this is. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Great to be here. You know me, love, love to talk about cycling. Also joining us is Escape's managing editor, Matt Zanif. Matt has been in the game a long time, but most recently, his byline is regularly found on a weekly newsletter focused on all things Australian cycling a.k.a. the Down Under Digest. Welcome, Matt. Hello. Good to be here. Great to be back at this race as well after what, four years. I think it was the last time we were here, isn't it? It's been a so, while for you and I. Yeah. 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 So good to be back. I love this race and love the vibe of it. And uh, yeah, it's great to be in amongst it again. Feels a bit like a school reunion. Everyone looks a little older and there's, there's news for everyone. And you and I have new t-shirts. And yeah, it's uh, happy to be back. So... All right, so the women's race kicked off today. Before we get to that, Gracie, please set the scene for where we are right now. Oh, scene setter. We are on level one of mm -hmm. the infamous Hilton <laughs> Hotel, Victoria Square, where all the action is. If you love cycling, you'll be happy to find some friends downstairs to get autographs out the front. So but that's not, always funny. But not in the foyer because there's security at the door. No, you're right. You've got to stand outside in the heat. Yeah. Um, we're on the level where the buffet is. So you've been able to watch the zoo a little bit, which is kind of funny. <laughs> you've just been in there though. So what, what's... I'm part of the zoo. Don't get me wrong. I just like really just scoffed my dinner before this. So. What was the highlight? Yeah. <laughs> the highlight. The highlight is always dessert because... It's a race buffet, so there's rice, pasta, red sauce, <laughs> vegetables. So I'm not an athlete anymore. I just go for the dessert. <laughs> Love that. It did look nice. All right. So we're recording this a few hours after the Women's World Tour officially began for 2024. Before the racing was underway, there was a tribute to Mill Hoskins. Uh, Gracie, how was it being there? Look, I think it's really um, important to acknowledge some of these moments now as they happen. It's still so raw and fresh. David McKenzie was on the mic and he said some really beautiful words in tribute to Mel Hoskins and so many of us um, on the sidelines and in the peloton have known her, have raced with her. Um, this is now the second tribute that we've done. We did one at Nationals too and it, it feels the same it's raw um it's upsetting but it's important to acknowledge someone that was really special to the community um, and have the minute of silence uh, is important as well and yeah i think the race organization have handled this situation well because uh, it's a cycling community current event but it's even more so here in adelaide she have has lived here on and off over the years, she's considered a local, even though she's from Perth. So uh, it's really rocked this community, especially. Um, and my heart goes out again and again to her friends and family, but also those riders that are dealing with those emotions on the start line. So yeah, I think it was handled very well. 
And in general, the cycling media have handled this quite well. There have been, unfortunately, a few journalists and more so in mainstream media that have not handled this very well. And of course, that's to be expected, not that we encourage it because that's kind of awful. Yeah. Um, so it's really difficult for those people to have be confronted with some of those um, inappropriate questioning um, at times. But I want to still give credit to the people that are handling this well that are doing these beautiful tributes in an appropriate manner and there is also more private support now for riders, staff and anyone okay. that needs help within this community. So that's um, been really great as well. All right. Well, yeah, sorry for absolutely everyone in the community that's been impacted by this. And yeah, as you say, some media are being respectful and others aren't. And yeah, I guess the message out there is, you know, keep in mind these are real people being being impacted by this so all right should we uh change pace a little bit and talk about what happened today uh for those that haven't watched the race at all can you explain uh how it came to a close yeah it was um a pretty aggressive race as it usually is on stage one of a stage race uh it looked pretty flat ish on paper but it's the adelaide hills so it's actually not flat it's up and down all day and dead roads um, in Australia, we say dead road, so that's just like not ni- not hot mix. <laughs> so it just really drains the legs all day. Um, some really good attacking from some of those smaller teams. Um, we saw a really nice breakaway of four riders working really well together and uh, coming over the final intermediate sprint, I think it was. Final QOM. Was QOM, sorry. Yeah. Um, Matilda Reynolds took that really good moment to attack over the top of some of those riders that were contesting it and she got away solo and um, it was funny watching on the ticker and doing a bit of commentary because I think the gaps were a bit on and off. So it was like, <laughs> is it two and a half minutes? Is it one minute? Is it one and a half minute? Oh, it's back out to two minutes. So I think we were all a bit on the edge of our seats going, has the um, peloton not calculated this properly especially Mm. because it was such a fast run in down gorge road so we're really used to seeing the men's peloton absolutely fly down gorge road to then take that left up corkscrew but the women today uh, this year they are not taking that left they got to last year which was pretty cool but this year it was a really fast run into a sprint finish in Campbelltown so Mm. um, I was pretty g'd for that to see how that would turn out but look like Reynolds could have maybe stolen the show but she was caught in the end uh difficult for teams to control we could see Little Trek uh Visma uh, and Jaco Alula some of those better organized teams Jaco Alula really tried hard to be leading into that last corner but it was still quite a long way to go from that final corner all the way into the finish and it kind of rolled and dipped a little bit so still a relatively tough sprint to nail the timing of and they did it quite a good job at just a little bit too early um you can say that you know happens all the time in in bike racing Uh, especially if you don't win in hindsight we can always go oh you just went too early (laughs) (laughs) um so on the camera you're like oh they're doing pretty good well Ruby Roseman Gannon did a, a really good lead out Alex Manley was there too for Georgia Baker um, Georgia Baker hit out, but it was Ali Wollaston from the AG Insurance team that just looks super strong. And she, yeah, she didn't just get it by an inch; she got it by half Several a well, yeah bike length. 
Matt, what can you tell us about Ali? First World Tour win, I believe. Yeah, first World Tour win. Um, and she, uh, she's just a, a very, very strong, very capable road and track rider. She's been balancing road and track for a few years. Uh, Kiwi national champion. Um, will be, you know, gunning for Paris later this year. Obviously a very big year for her. Um, I feel like she's had a bit of bad luck along the way. The 2022 Tour de France femme, she was in good form and crashed out of that and then missed the Commonwealth Games, which is a big target for her. Um, I think she's just a, a really talented young rider that's got mm. a big future ahead of her and seeing her get that opportunity today and really take it. And yeah, Jaco probably... Really it take it. Like yeah. It looked like a pretty convincing win. Like it she was. was. She was celebrating before the line there. Like yeah, was, what I was yeah. going to say, like Jaco probably went a bit early and yeah. could have done that a bit better, but I'm not sure it would have made a difference in the end. Like Ali was just that strong that yeah. she just yeah won it quite comfortably. So great for her but also it really repaid the work that her team did because in that last section of the chase when Tills was out there on her own um, it was really AG Insurance that came to the front did a lot of the work down the gorge and, and set that pace and really you know that's their first race as a world tour team and so they took it upon themselves to really set that pace and to get that reward the first win in their first world tour race uh, as a world tour team is fantastic. Yeah, and I think that that's worth noting, Matt. That was a, it's a good point to say that they also pulled on the front because I think for a majority of the race, when there was a breakaway, everyone was like, "Jake, you can do it." That's yeah. it. Like they, you could see those conversations going in the peloton, and everyone's like, "Well, you do it. Like mm. you're the favourites. You've got the responsibility." So it was risky for some teams to leave it later to work, but knowing the nature of the course, I think they knew what that calculation could be. Jayco's intent was there from the very start that you know they do have the the favorites for the sprint but also you know they were there at the intermediate sprint 10ks into the stage going for the bonus seconds and we saw Ruby Roseman Gannon get the, the the three seconds and we saw Georgie get the, the two seconds so they're obviously you know from the very first moment of the race they're showing their intent and showing they are the team to beat so all right so you're mentioning seconds there uh keeping in mind I'm a tech editor not big into the racing. Can someone please explain to me the bonus seconds of this race? <laughs> well, every tour is different. Every rule book's different. No, a lot of it's similar. So in this tour, much like many tours, intermediate sprints can give points for the sprint classification, but they can also sometimes give bonus seconds. So three seconds, two seconds, one second, four, one, two, three. Um, and in a tour that doesn't have a super decisive climb, like a, a big mountaintop finish or a really um, big GC days, uh, this tour does come into that category. Willunga can be decisive, but it, it's just short enough that there could be really close gaps on the top. So riders like Ruby Roseman Gannon do want to get any extra seconds in GC to really help them on the finish line of stage three. And we've seen in the men's race in the past that uh, time bonus has been absolutely crucial where the race has come down to a single second or the same time across the entire race and it's gone to count back as a result of people picking up uh, time bonuses throughout the race. So it shows from the very start that they're, they've got stage two and stage three in mind. And yeah, as, as Gracie said, trying to get those seconds wherever they can so that if Ruby is in a chance to be up there on Wollonga, who knows how that'll go, but this gives her the best opportunity for that. So when it comes to the tour down under, the bonus seconds is crucially important for, I guess, the, the you know, who wins the general classification. 
Is that a fair statement? Like it's can be, yeah. It's crucial for some riders who think that they can't necessarily win okay. on Wollonga, but mm-hmm. they can be very close. So say everyone's worried that Sarah Gigante is just going to ride away from them, mm. but if they can just keep her in sight within like ten seconds, if she attacks or or whatever, if the, if she's just close enough and they've got enough money in the bank. They can still win the tour overall. All right. There is a, just on that, there is a world in which AG Insurance Sudal leads the race all the way through here. Like Ali is in the leader's jersey now. She might all be in it tomorrow. Who knows? But then Sarah could all win on Sunday. I don't know. It's a long shot, perhaps. Because what, what does tomorrow's stage look like that that's possible? It's hard. You've raced on Sterling before, right? That finishing yeah. circuit? It's very hard, yeah. yeah. It's, it's deceptively hard, actually. The circuit itself doesn't look hard when you go and train on it. You're kind of like, ah, oh, it's nothing. And then racing it, it's just, it, it just really drains you, especially that final finish into Sterling. Um, I was trying to win a stage one year and Grace Brown led me out and she just rode me off the wheel. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay, yep, she's pretty strong. <laughs> cool. Damn it. <laughs> no, I was happy for her. But um, uh, it's it could still be a decisive GC stage if some stronger teams want to just absolutely shred the legs of all the other teams. So could be interesting or it could just be a bit of a drag race of a sprint so yeah i'm i'm looking forward to it most i think stage two is my favorite on paper yeah i think the fact that it does have have the chance of being either of those things makes it really interesting it could it could go either way really depending on how it plays out which is always exciting one name that comes to mind is someone who may not be uh in the front of the race tomorrow, just purely judging by how she was walking around this evening. Uh, Matilda Reynolds, you, <laughs> you mentioned her before, uh, most combative rider of the day. Uh, yeah, I mean, what else can we say about our, our friend of the podcast? Yeah, I mean, Tills is an escape member, so yeah. good on her for that, first of all. Um, yeah, she's such a really good ride. I She was out there in the break to try and get uh, the QOM jersey, and... Uh, she wasn't able to do that. She didn't have the punch in her legs, which you can understand being a rider that mostly does 250k gravel races now. Um, and when she couldn't get that, she sort of switched gears and, and thought, well, what, what's the next thing that I can do? And um, yes, yeah, so as Gracie said before, coming to that last climb, she just held off a little bit, waited for the riders in the, the breakaway to sit up after their effort and then just made her move then. And uh, just a really smart move from her and the team and a really good, um, representation of Bridge Lane, I thought, you know, a smaller team facing off against the the World Tour field and we knew they were going to try and be up the road and do something and, and they did a great job for it and I mean, I love Tills as a bike rider. I think she's an, an awesome yeah. racer and um, she, she did herself proud out there today. I guess that's worth talking about is Bridge Lane is a continental team yep. is that correct so yeah they're, they're a continental team they're, there's a number of other continental teams uh in the women's field and i guess that's that's probably quite a big difference to say the men's uh tour down under is that it is a compulsory race as a world tour the women's race is not uh what teams are missing from the world tour here this year the teams <laughs> well there's it's, it's there's only nine six there's nine missing, out right? yeah yeah so yeah. it would be six i think because there's 15 yeah, I think. that sounds about right yeah i mean uh, I, i'm asking the question i have a list yeah uh, so i mean it's it's phoenix de Kunic, it's uh Movistar, it's roland it's uno x it's sd works and uh matt i'm gonna ask you to to read the the last one so, because i'm definitely gonna butcher it again tech editor, uno x talking about uh second down on the list oh sarah tis at wnt oh yeah. i hate saying that one yeah. <laughs> yeah. they've been around for a while and i butcher it every time too yeah. i think the the bigger picture to all this is that 
Uh, yes, the women's race isn't compulsory for World Tour teams. Yes, all the World Tour teams aren't here. But the growth of the women's race is actually quite remarkable. Yeah. It's it's a race that last year had six women's World Tour teams. It had five the last time. Yeah. Um, it's got nine this year. It's the, the biggest and best field we've had in that regard. Um, Grace, you'll be able to tell us it's grown so much in terms of the stature, the, the, the riders coming here, the organisation, all of it has grown so much, hasn't it? The support from the organisers as well behind it, yeah. Massively, yeah. Well, when I was first kicking off in my career, it was only crits. Yeah. And then it was a, a mini tour when they took us out to the boonies and it was like no one <laughs> yeah. was out there. And now it's proper stages in big towns that are happy to have the race. Um, and another good thing to mention is the organisation is paying the flights for those international teams to come over and they would like to keep building on that so it's it's super important not just to have you know like equal prize money or equal stage days and stuff like that for a race that's so far away it costs a lot of money to come and a lot of women's teams don't have a huge budget and it needs to spread out over the whole year so for a race organization to be able to fund a lot of the travel costs and also some of the costs to stay in Australia between this race and Cadell's uh, it really makes a huge difference and a great opportunity for the teams to come get some points, have a good summer of training and kick off their season. Yeah. And the other thing too is that uh, the uh, Tour de Nanda is required to provide 45 minutes of live TV coverage as a World Tour race. They do start to finish live coverage every day, isn't it, for the women's yeah. race. They don't have to be doing that. Yeah. But they did a survey a few years ago. To, to find out what were the most important things for the women's peloton and and that was one of the things was as much coverage as you can get and they've that's really awesome. invested in that and that's yeah. hugely expensive as Grace you can talk about I'm sure but there's a massive expense for the organisation for the South Australian government. Well, I get a number of fans going when is it going to be more than three days and you're like well it would be nice if it was a touch longer but man this organisation is doing the process in the right steps. Yeah. yeah. So like, everything yeah. that you've said, I think that they've year done on this year very it's stepping well. Up yeah. And in big ways. Yeah. For me, like I, my last tour down under was 2020, and when I attended, tried to cover the women's tech side as much as possible. And you're staying in what like a, a dorms basically back then, and that was a big step up from prior. Now you're in the the Hilton Hotel, same team that uh, same hotel the men have always stayed in. Uh, your mechanics are now working out of sorry, the women's mechanics are now working out of like the exact same pavilion side by side to the men's team. So if there's a women's world tour team that has uh, a men's division, basically sharing mechanics, um, sharing resources there, that is something that I haven't seen before. And it's pretty incredible uh, progress in that sense. The other impressive thing is that while the organizers and while the South Australian government is investing more in this, the cost of everything is going up as well. So the cost of putting on this event has gone up 30%. Like everything mm -hmm. is costing 30% more than it was pre-pandemic. And that's everything from police to barriers to cost of flights to everything, petrol, whatever it might be, all of that adds up. So as organizers, you not only have to match that, but then they're going above and beyond that. So like yeah. I think it's easy to take shots at organizers and I'm sure we have in the past for various things, but I think... We need to keep that context there and remember yeah. that they are going above and beyond and doing an awesome job of it. I, I wasn't uh, meaning to to take a dig there where I was saying there's World Tour teams missing. I guess no, my no. point is is to more explain that this is, uh, yeah, you, you are going to hear of riders that you may not expect to hear of in, in a, 
uh, as the season goes goes on in other World Tour races, like Matilda Reynolds, for example, of a Australian Continental team, and that's I guess that's where this race is a little bit unique, is we will see some some riders come come to the forefront that may not be seen at this level yeah. uh, in the rest of the year. To give a bit of credit to our national level teams, yeah. um, ARA Skip Capital and Team Bridge Lane. The last couple of years, they've invested money into their women's teams and men's teams to be continental level so they can do races like this and go to Belgium and yeah. go to Asia and stuff. So if it wasn't without some of their backing and stuff, mm. they wouldn't be here either because we have seen some slim years where you have a small women's peloton here because it's only the big teams. The yeah. small teams don't have the license to race. It's such mm -hmm. a missed opportunity because the NRS isn't really that great here. So it's so sad if they don't get to come and race this. Yeah. yeah. And what, what it's showing for me is like, obviously it's a very small sample. There's only a very small number of continental teams here, but there's pretty incredible depth of field there mm. when you consider it like that. The continental teams are very competitive here. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so it's, it's super cool for me to see. Okay. Uh, let's, let's uh, look into the crystal ball a little bit. Uh, two days from now, the race comes to uh, an end. And what do you, what are the picks? Who do you think will will take this? Ooh, before this race started, I've put my money on Amanda Spratt. Um, she uh, is known of doing well at this race, but history aside, I think this is a fantastic target to have in an Olympic year. It's a World Tour mm -hmm. race. Great points on offer. Could be a helpful qualifier to get into the team. And I don't think. Um, apart from Grace Brown, anyone else has qualified their spot for the Olympics. So Aspratti's a clever bike rider. She's in some great form and it could be a strategic opportunity as well. She's very capable to win or at least do pretty well up Wollonga. Uh, time bonuses are going to be an issue for her because she's not going for them by the look of it. But stage two is going to be a massive shake-up, so you could see her coming out a bit more out of the woodwork. <laughs> so who's your Gracie? Who's your pick for stage two then? It sounds like maybe Spratty. Look, I think Spratty will be on the same time as the winner on stage two. Okay. I think she's going to make sure she doesn't lose any time. Maybe get some time bonuses, and there also is time bonuses on the finish line, so that's really helpful as well. Uh, I'm going to be looking at Grace Brown. She has won on this finish in the past. It really suits her strong sprint. Like she's a bit more of a diesel sprinter. I wouldn't call her a sprinter, but she's very capable of doing well on a reduced group finish, especially if it goes uphill. And um, yeah, I think that it's tough to go past. So Ruby Roseman Gannon too is in some super form too. Yeah. So I think she'll be really the wanting new to Australian try Australian national champion. Yeah. yeah. Wants a stage yeah. win. Okay, Matt? Uh, yeah, I think Ruby's a chance tomorrow. I, I think I've got nothing to base this on besides just pure conjecture, but I, I wonder if Jacob will go for her tomorrow. The finish maybe suits her maybe a bit more than it does Georgia tomorrow, being uphill slightly, I would think. Um, I'd like to see her up there. As you said, she's in amazing form and the new Australian champs kit looks great. Love to see that at the front of a race. Um, and I think, yeah, stage three is a fascinating one. I, I think you're right. Gracie, that Spratty is just such a smart bike rider and knows what to do, knows where to be, um, knows how to measure her efforts so well. I'm really curious to see how Sarah Gigante goes. She won here a few years ago when it was the Santos Festival of Cycling. Wasn't the same level of field as we have this race by a long shot, but she is a very talented climber and this is a finish that suits her. 
But I just wonder how she goes pacing that effort against a really good field. Um, that's going to be fascinating to see. And also really interesting to see that um, Cecily or Trip Ludwig was in the top 10 today in the sprint finish, which makes me think that she's taking it pretty seriously. Um, she could be forgiven for just rocking up and having a quieter week, I think. But it, that to me makes it seem like she's she's here to, to race and to do well. Yep, it wasn't like a, a big stamp of showing good form. But if you're in the top 10 on a tricky sprint finish that usually is a good indicator that you're going all right and you're taking it a bit seriously so I think that's going to be an interesting one it's most of the internationals we don't really know the form like today was a bit of an indicator but we're still quite you know unsure of how some of these European and uh, North American riders are going Um, but yeah I think it if she was in her peak Euro summer form, you'd think that Wollonga would suit her down to the ground. So, yeah, never know. I saw her training around the hills in Christmas time, so she might have been doing some secret training. I think tomorrow almost suits her as well, I think, it, on her day. like she, I think she's a sneakily good sprinter. You look at some of her results yeah. from the back half of last year. Like Tour of Scandinavia, she was sprinting well. Uh, yeah. She can be good in those punchy finishes. So. Yeah. Oh, yeah, know. the Sterling finish is much like that one at the Tour de France Femme in 2022. Yeah, Epinay, right? Yeah, Epinay. So, yeah. Who knows? Again, it just comes down to that form. And that, that is one of the, the fascinating things about these early season races when you've got the combination of Aussies that are coming here in great form, having targeted nationals and this and Cadell's, and then the Euros who most of them are here to, I don't know, train and work into the season. But if she's taken it seriously, I'd, yeah, who knows? And that's just one more point I want to make. It's really something that we've seen maybe the last five or six years, both in the men's and the women's, is that the Aussies don't kill it anymore in January and February. Yeah, It's actually yeah. much more leveled out. A lot of the Europeans are getting themselves into better shape um, throughout the, the Christmas period. So Aussies can't dominate anymore. <laughs> you can't go to the Middle East and just smash all the Euros who are just coming out of their base training season. And a lot of Euros here are already in good shape. They, they do struggle a bit with the heat, but they're they're in good form. Once upon a time, I remember the Tour de Under was was almost like the Australians' chance to earn some UCI points, and for everyone else, it was almost a training camp. Mm. It was yeah. I mean, it was get some racing in the legs, but suddenly, like the assumption was, is that the Aussies were firing and let yeah. them race it out. Is there a reason that the Euros are so much better now, do you think? Why are they getting so much better so much earlier in the season? Um, I'm not sure if I've got the best answer for that, but I assume it's just better coaching and better sports science that they're able to manage the load of athletes better from off-season, pre-season and throughout the season. I think that the recovery strategies are so much better. They're not getting as burnt out. They're getting managed better, better nutrition. I think just all of those improvements across the border just make that adjustment to training, getting back into peak fitness and and doing those picks and troughs through the season a bit more possible. I've also heard from writers suggest that it's the calendar has gotten so fiercely competitive that you kind of have to take every chance possible. So mm. they, you know, it comes back to what you're saying, Gracie, but it's like they get riders ready to be firing for every single race of the year now and yeah. because they have to get those points. So And yeah, women's teams are getting bigger now. We're, we're seeing teams that have an average of about 15 riders instead of 10. So they can take uh, more varied rosters and people can specialize more and it's an olympic year so it's women in women's cycling that's very important men's cycling 
you can go 50-50 on that. But I think mm. it's a lot of riders want to get those results on the board now because the selection period's ending in May. It's funny how there's so many conversations, so many sentences in analysis this season are going to be wrapped up with that line, you know, it's an Olympic year. Yeah. You know, like it's it frames everything, doesn't it? It's yeah. always there in the back of the riders' minds, you know, from nationals in the first week of January all the way through to to May for the selection and then beyond. Like it's it's such a big deal. All right. So before we wrap this up, Gracie, you just came straight from the team presentations. Uh, you got a good chance in addition to watching the racing today and being there, you got a good chance to look at the new kits. Mm. Uh, I suspect those are fresh on the mind. Uh, let's talk about the new kits of uh, of the bunch. Uh, what's uh, any standouts? Um, I'll go with my second pick because yep. I think it's just awesome. I love the EF Education pit kit. I think they just get better every year. I just like that it's a bit subversive. Paint us a picture. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, pink and yellow vomit, but in a good way. <laughs> I don't know. Nice. <laughs> it's nice. great. No, I love it. It's so bright and the bikes look amazing. Yep. My number one pick, and it only just got announced like a day ago, was the Life Plus Wahoo yeah. kit. It just looks sick. And I think that that lime green, not quite neon color is like going to be the color of the year. So they're kind of on trend. They're, they got their first. Yeah. Uh, what, what colors are they? Green and Purple-ish, yeah, lavender It's like a purpley grey, yeah. but it just works. Uh, so imagine like a purpley grey lava lamp. Yeah. <laughs> and that's basically the kit. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, we're really going sweet. for the psychedelics yeah. this year and I'm I'm into it. Yeah, okay. They, they held back their kit launch by like a week beyond everyone else just so they'd have a bit of clear air. And I think that's really done a good, done wonders for them. You yeah. Know. And you see across the board in men's and more in the men's, but a little bit in the women's like, You've got these really out there kits, and then you've got these really basic kits. There's not, not that much in between. <laughs> what is is Canyon Shram still in their old kit? Because they're on their old bikes here. No, What's, new kit. Okay, still right. great. Yeah, they, that's, that's just, nice. Yeah, they just always do a good job. I think it's yeah. probably a bit worse than last year, but it's still very good. Okay, Matt, um, any any to add to to Gracie's list there? I controversially i like the jayco kit i know some people don't like it mm -hmm. but I, yep. I quite like it i think it's nice matt yeah. i think it's a, like it's almost a throwback to unisa jayco that, maybe that's what it is maybe it's got the nostalgia vibes yeah for me it's or like something. that um ochre and blue and yeah. i've got one of those old kits and it's like it's cool it's i'm gonna bring yeah. it back do you like it it's, the new one yeah i think it's one of the better ones they've had for a while i yeah. do like it yeah here's a question for you so say in your riding days the team hands you a bunch of new kit on January 1st or whatever it is. You open the kit and you're like, oh, man, it's horrible. <laughs> and you have to post it to social media. What's that like? Um, I don't think I ever hated any. <laughs> oh, okay. I got That's to a boring. point where I was sick of wearing black and yellow because I think that went for about three years. <laughs> yeah. And I just was like, I'm not a teenage boy. I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, black is flattering, so it was okay. But yeah. um. Well, we, we usually knew ahead of time, so it wasn't January 1. We'd yeah, open it up. We'd have a few months that you had embargoed and you can't post pictures. And one year, Sarah Roy, we were all told explicitly many times do not post a photo. And she, she still did and got in so much trouble. So. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, um, half the time you were racing in the Aussie Champs kit anyway, so you oh, had a good quite half. <laughs> I'm giving you some credit. The one thing I never got was the stripes on the sleeves. I know. I'm I know. About that. I remember asking you about that at the time, like after you weren't the champ, and then it wasn't ever on your sleeves, and they never had a good answer for you, did they? Like, 
Some good kits this year, that's yeah. for sure. <laughs> UAE is sneaky good as well. UAE Team ADQ kit. I think we were yeah. talking about that uh, yesterday. Their, their bike is very interesting to me because their bike is an example of someone very financially savvy. Uh, and by that, I mean... So, it's a Colnago and it's got a really beautiful multicolored fork design and they've matched it to like this kind of fading bar tape and then there's the same multicolored pattern on the seat post and it looks like a really nicely classily designed bike but what they've actually managed to do is use a completely stock black frame and make you think it's like completely team issue i think it's very clever like it's yeah yeah. so it's absolutely (laughs) unmistakable a really nice team bike but at the same time sneaky they're not having (laughs) to expensively paint a lot of frames it's it's clever so, Matt, what else is on that list? I think I mentioned it before, but um, Ruby Roseman Gannon's Australian Champs kit. I just I think this has done very well, very simple, very effective, and I don't know, obviously biased being Australian, but it's it's a good kit. EscapeCollective.com for a full feature on the bike as well. Exclusive, right? First one. And any any others or? No, that's about it. I oh, think. okay. There's some right. good kits there, but as Gracie said, there's also some that are a bit. Yeah. So I want to know most generic that the Bahrain has gone a step backwards, maybe. I don't know, it just looks a bit boring in real life, the men's Bahrain Victorious kit. Oh, you're talking men's, okay, yep. Yeah, I and controversial, I like the new Bora Hans Grower kit. I think it's a bit much, and like they said on stage, they have been called the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, (laughs) but it is so easy to pick as a commentator on air, like it's great, and I, I think because... It all matches. They've got the socks. They've got the bikes. The helmets. Like, if if the whole package is done well, I like that too. Yeah, it's uh, quite a few of the specialized sponsored teams seem to have really nice color schemes this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's one to watch. Uh, most likely generated by AI. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the DSM kit. There's some odd placement of various elements of that kit. Yeah, I don't like it. I'm gonna it's say a, it. It's a bit going on, isn't mm-hmm. there? I'm disappointed because DSM, I think they've been one of the nicer kits, actually. Mm. A basic but nice. Their bikes have been quite classy Classic. in recent years. Yeah. yeah. But this year, I just it doesn't look good, I don't think. Yeah. They took a shot. Mm. Good try. Try again next year. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And uh, least likely you'd buy off a rack? I'll leave it after that, but I'm just, yeah. Probably the DSM one. Yeah. yeah okay. Most too, likely. Too many sponsors, too little else it's going on. It's just a bit messy. Yeah. yeah. Just it looks like... Um, an F3 race car design. <laughs> <laughs> Brutal. <laughs> Anything else to add? Or should we wrap this one up for tonight and come back in a few nights? Well, I think just on the racing, I think yeah. that two really interesting days ahead, as we've talked about, um, the GC is really interestingly poised in the sense that there's no one with real gaps. None of the GC favourites or even the outsiders have lost any time today. There are some riders with... You know, a few seconds bonus. We talked about Ruby getting three seconds. Um, Baker's got a few seconds, but she won't factor on Walunga. Um, Sophia Bertazzolo, who was third today, has got four seconds. She climbs well, maybe not well enough to get up Walunga. I'm not quite sure, but um, it's interestingly poised with two good stages to go. Gracie, any yeah, final I think, thoughts? I think that was some really good thoughts there. I don't know if I have Thank much you. to add. <laughs> I'll write them down for my commentary. Um, look, I think that there's a few teams that went under the radar today. Lidl Trek is one of them. They they were looking after each other a bit, but we didn't see them too much on camera, and I think that's probably a good sign. 
All right. Well, thank you, Matt, Gracie. Uh, that was the first of many Escape Down Under podcasts. Uh, yeah. Uh, expect us to be back. Gracie, you're coming. You're joining us again on Sunday. Yep. The the final stage, uh, the closure of the Tour Down Under Women's Edition, and yeah, the the rest of the week we'll we'll keep doing these as long as people are listening. So <laughs> please uh, listen. <laughs> yeah, we've got uh, Ian Trelaw will be joining us in future. Rupert Guinness will be on a couple. Uh, Matt, you'll be back. I'll be here. Uh, we'll try get subtitles for Ronan to attend. <laughs> and, yeah, if you're an Escape Collective member, thank you. If you're not a member by now, you've probably realized we're offering these podcasts for free for everyone. So please subscribe because you get good feelings by doing that in addition to this great content. And we appreciate it. And we greatly appreciate <laughs> it. And it makes this content exist. Uh, we are in Adelaide because of our members. So thanks to all that support what we do. All right, good night, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Cheers.